Ladies and gentlemen, we promised you a great podcast, and here it is. It is Wrestle Chat, the Territory Tales, coming at you live, turning back the clocks once again, going all the way back to December 1981. I am your host, Cody O'Mac, and this is my tag team partner, the illustrious Smokin' J.T. Smitty. What's going on with you today, Justin? Uh, today was really hot. I don't know if it's global warming or COVID-19 coming to get us. But today was excruciatingly hot today. I just sit in my room under the air conditioner until the winter comes. Basically, that's my my entire summer plan. I've done that for a couple of years when I was living out there with you in Hangzhou. Yeah, that's the only thing you can do in the summertime. (laughs) Yeah. The blistering blistering heat in China in the summer is, is almost unbearable. You can't go outside. Go outside, you go down to the corner store. And you got to bring another shirt because your shirt is just wrecked. And you're, you've sweated through the whole thing. He's not lying, folks. That like I give it 45 seconds before I start sweating once I walk out my front door. 45 seconds. Unfortunately, the only other weather here in the summer is rain. So, I mean, the only way that you're not getting that kind of heat is to get nine straight days of rain, which we're in the middle of right now. Uh, day five <laughs> of nine straight days of rain. So it's a pain in the ass to get to work. Either way, in the heat or the rain, but uh, you traded it all for a really mild and lovely winter. But enough about that. We are Wrestle Chat. We got two podcasts. We got this one talking about the, t- the oldest days of the territory on the WWE Network, and you can find the our good podcast. old days. And you can find our podcast there on anchor.fm forward slash Wrestle Chat. And we have, of course, our modern day podcast that is a live video stream on Twitch, which you can catch. Fridays at 9 p.m. And we're going to do a big show this week, AEW and NXT, once again. It's going to be a great one. I can't wait. I'm really digging our territory tales. Um, AEW has dug its, its, its talons into NXT, though, you know? AEW ha- has had me basically since week one, and they put on such a, a, a better wrestling product than WWE has put out in, in, any, in many years I'm very disappointed that NXT has kind of drifted back to WWE style of booking. It's Vince. What are you, you going to do, man? So you can, uh, you can hear us talk all about that live on Twitch. And we've also put it up in podcast form after that is done. If you can't catch us live, you can catch us on Twitter at WrestleChat and on Facebook in our group at WrestleChat. And all the, it's WrestleChat everywhere. Any social media you got, I think we even got an Instagram out there somewhere. But anyway, we are now turning back the clocks to 1981 and going back to follow up on our on last week's shows. We are now on December 26th, 1981. It is Boxing Day. Christmas is over. Let's Get Physical by Olivia Newton-John is the number one song in the country for the third week in a row. That was a song. Uh, I don't think that that song's about exercise. Oh, man, I thought that was like the exercise song. I think that that song's about uh, the feud between Big John Studd and Blackjack Mulligan. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, they had quite the few when they got physical in those uh, Texas death matches. There are no notable movie releases uh, in this week in December 1981, but now that the year is done, we can take a look back at the number one movie of 1981, which was Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of my favorite movies of all time. I love that movie. Um, Crusades is my favorite, though. I we think named the number dog two. Indiana. Yeah, you can't beat Sean Connery and Harrison Ford at the same time. Raiders is obviously the best one, but uh, Crusades. I actually like. I I I have a I have a soft spot for Temple of Doom. I really like it. It gets a lot of flack, but I think it's. I think it's, it's funny you say that. That was my favorite as a kid, and as an adult, it's now my least favorite. I don't. I love the opening scene at Club Obi-Wan. It's so cool. And uh, Kali-Ma yeah. will rule the world. But somebody gets their fucking why. heart ripped out in that, in that movie. <laughs> There's like a little eight-year-old kid running around. You, I love you, you, Dr. You know Jones. What? And then somebody gets you know their what? heart torn out. It's like all over the place. You know what got me as a kid? The monkey brains eating scene. Oh, gross, and right? The, and they cut the snake open. That's what hooked me. I said, ooh, that's gross, but I like that because I'm a freaking seven-year-old or whatever age I The blonde in that movie, like, uh, she is no Marion Ravenwood. She's unbearable. She's terrible. Like, what's her name? Maybe that's why I didn't, that's probably why I didn't like it. I didn't like the, the Yeah, she's pretty the rough. Short Round's cool, though. He was a goonie, too. But anyway, what are we doing that's on true. this show? Well, like we said, we're turning back the clock all the way to 1981. We are going to the WWE Network and getting their very oldest territory content. So, uh... We're now six weeks, uh, six weeks into the show, and we are at the end of 1981. We have Mid South and Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling from December 26th, and next week I do believe we're going to be joined by World Class Championship Wrestling with their first show. Is that is that correct? You are correct, sir. Next well, week go. we'll be doing three different shows: a Mid South. Mid-Atlantic, and a WCCW. That is where we're going to cap it. We're not going to be looking at any other any other promotion, so it'll just be these three. Wanted to get away from WWE. Oh, oh no. Uh, there's, only so much, there's only so much time in the day. Um, yeah, so I, uh, we're just, uh, we're just two, two fucking modern-day modern marks here. We never, uh, I've never seen any territory stuff. Only We've only heard of it, you know, really... Uh, I've never seen any territory stuff before we sat down and do this project. So we got, it's first time, if you're a first time listener, we are first time watchers going through, just giving our opinion, ranking what we thought was good, what we thought was bad, and the best show of the week. And stick around until after those shows, we are doing the Battle Bowl and Lethal Lottery of the WWE, the WWF, prestigious WWF championship, the greatest champion of all time, Lethal Lottery and Battle Bowl. The rules for that are very complicated, a little bit convoluted. So we're going to explore, we're going to explain them when we get when we get They're to that. They're interesting. Point. It is interesting, yes. But right now, in the Battle Bowl, number one, Hulk Hogan, number two, Steve Austin, number three, Randy Savage, number four, Sid Vicious, and eliminated, <laughs> eliminated, the Undertaker and Diesel are not have not made it. They didn't pass the Lethal Lauder requalifying round, and they have been eliminated. No chance in the Battle Bowl. Today's match, Kane. One of the worst, got to be the worst WWF champion of all time. And John Cena taking on Rob Van Dam and Alberto Del Rio, a team for the shit bucket. <laughs> yeah, they're, um, I mean, who knows? Kane is, he's only held it for one yeah. night. Well, one night. it's John Cena, so obviously they're going to win. 
So anyway, let's let's go back to December 26th, the day after Christmas. It is Boxing Day, and we are taking a look. First, you, you wanted to look at uh, Mid-South first today? Yeah, because this one actually was aired on December 25th. Christmas, Christmas Day! All right, we open at the desk with Boyd Pierce. This time, his guest commentator of the week is the legendary cowboy Bill Watts. The... Uh, so uh, I, I don't know what the story is, if they have like a, so we're only on our third week of Mid-South. This is our third week looking at Mid-South, and there's been a guest commentator every week. I wonder if they just always have a guest commentator, or if they usually have a second guy and he's just not around right now or something. I think it's a, I, I'm, I bet you it's a special guest commentator every week. I guess we'll see as we, as we go. As That's we go pretty down. awesome. So it's Bill Watts, uh, Bill Watts, the booker of, of Mid-South, the promoter. I believe he's sharing duties with Grizzly Smith at this particular time. But uh, we'll read a little about, about Bill Watts since our first w look at him. Bill Watts is the legendary promoter of Mid-South Wrestling. Watts was the first man to create the current and popular episodic style of television wrestling. He did this by building creative storylines week to week. In addition to that... Bill virtually created wrestlers such as Steve Williams, the Junkyard Dog, Ted DiBiase, and Jim Duggan, who all the later three that we're going to get to see him build in Mid-South. Watts was all about kayfabe and making wrestling look as real as possible. He did not want faces and heels together ever because he wanted his product to look uh, realistic. Watts was the first booker to push African-American talent to the top of the card, putting Ron Simmons uh, in 1992 as the... World Heavyweight Champion, sorry, 1991. And then in 1992, controversially banning top rope moves from WCW, uh, which at that point seemed pretty out of date. But we are 10 years back in his prime. It's Bill Watts. I've never seen him before. <laughs> I didn't picture him like this when uh, when I read about uh, Jim Ross. Well, I, I've only him. seen old Bill Watts in the documentaries on the, you know, when they grab the legends and they sit him in a conference room and they just kind of talk about the old days. That's the only time I've ever seen Bill Watts. So to see him here very young and in his prime doing what he does is very interesting. Well, I saw Eric Watts and he was, uh, I mean, he's, he's Who's terrible. That? He's terrible, but he's in good shape. So when you t call somebody the cowboy Bill Watts, I don't picture a guy that's round like a, he's like a coconut with a cowboy hat. He weighs 350 pounds. <laughs> He looked like he could handle himself at that desk. Yeah, I, I bet there was a time when he was a dangerous man. But anyway, he's on commentary this week. They talk about the dream match, which voting has only two weeks left. Don't forget that you can vote for Andre the Giant, the Junkyard Dog, Afonsika, the Wild Samoans, and of course, Ernie Ladd. So I suppose the uh, fan voting will be calculated. I wonder if it'll be a legit a shoot or if they'll just, you know, kind of like the taboo Tuesday where uh, we just pick, we'll just pick the thing and then we'll say, surely it's, surely it's gotta be a shoot, right? You fucking Mark. And we also have the conclusion of the Persian club challenge this week. As last week, Ellering did 50, which means the pressure is on the iron Sheik to do 100. Our opening match, Jerry Novak and Rick Ferrara versus Mike George and Carlos Zapata. What a bunch of nobodies here. Yeah, uh, but it was a contested match. Uh, Mike George is supposed to tag with Junkyard Dog, but Junkyard Dog is too busy with all his titles as now he owns the, uh, he's holding the Louisiana title among among others, so he cannot make it to this match. And the tag title. Yeah, and the tag titles. 
so here's his tag team partner with some guy. Novak and Ferrer tie up Mike George in the ropes, and they take turns whooping his ass. Frank George's partner, Zapata, gets in to try and help him, but he gets slammed on the concrete right away. And that's it. He's out for the whole match. He, can, he, he just doesn't get up again. He's, he's out. The announcers are kind of like, oh, oh this look was, at that. He, look look this, at that. He came in to help, and now he's out of the match. This was to see, like, okay, Mike George has to do it all on his own. because That Jared is the booking. So, uh, like, after, after Zapata, that useless lump of crap, gets, gets slammed outside, Mike George tries to take the heels on two-on-one, and he gets a pretty, gets a pretty good turn in. But uh, the heels come back. And Novak hits an awesome drop kick, and he gets pinned two on one. Zapata looks terrible here, but it was pretty interesting to see Mike George try and fight off both of these guys and fail. I thought he was, well. I thought he was going to win. I thought he was, was going to win too. Win. That's, I, that's, I thought it was pretty interesting that he just lost to the two uh, the journeymen, the jobbers. Yeah, I mean, um, that's but that's a good storytelling. It's like, hey, uh, I know you got your thing going on, junkyard dog. But I'm, get my butt kicked over here so who knows how this is gonna fly if i was mike george i'd find that junkyard dog and give him a pile driver to, to let him know that that's what you get for abandoning your, your tag team partner well do we know why he was out didn't he get headbutted last week he could be out with a concussion <laughs> a concussion from a headbutt no 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 remember he put the thing in the mask junkyard dog was oh that's true yeah yeah paul, paul orner yeah. hit him with hit him with, hit him with hit him with the iron mask but but junkyard dog uh, he he delivers like a hundred headbutts a week and and so I think he's he's got that hard head. We'll find out next week because it's episodic. They replay Paul Ellering's uh, Persian Club Challenge, and he is ripped to shreds. Jesus, I, I just keep thinking about Paul Ellering coming to the ring with LOD and he weighs like eighty five pounds, you know. But like it's just amazing to see him here. He's so jacked. My God, I would have never guessed. And here is Sheiky Baby who is beholden to do 100 Persian Club Challenge. He's holding up his two Persian Clubs, which are roughly the size of Batista's dick. And he goes ahead and does 100. <laughs> the commentary for this is so funny, because you're standing there watching a guy exercise, so Boyd is just like, 61, 62, 63, 64. Someone's got to keep 66. count. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. Someone's got to. You can't be trusted to keep count at home, I guess. They weren't doing them the same though. You'll notice when Ellerling did it, he just did it straight over his back, yeah. back to the front. Whereas she did a, kind of like a figure eight, so he never actually cleared his shoulder. So, but it he, looks cool. You know I mean? He's got a he's got a rhythm to it. He's he's doing around. He the had world. a rhythm, but it felt like he was half-assed. Ellering, yeah, Ellering is more I, like I a, is more like a, a reverse like bicep curl, and the Sheik is just like he's just swinging him. Exactly. He's so, using momentum. When it when it when it becomes apparent that uh, the Iron Sheik is going to do one hundred, uh, Paul Ellering starts firing up the crowd with a USA chant, of course, because. That's what that's what happens to even to this day in America, if you can believe it. I remember when I was young, I was a huge wrestling fan, that I really wished that I was from USA because Jim Duggan would start the, the USA chant and I was like and I was just a little You couldn't get it on I you couldn't get it. I was like, Why why USA? Like I don't why don't I live in the USA? I want I like Jim Duggan. Boy, times have changed. Yeah. Times have changed. Hey, hey. That was me with Bret Hart, man. I wish, yeah. I, like, I supported him during that whole uh, Montreal screw job, 
um, even going up to that with the USA versus Canada angle. I was supporting him. Duggan had the right idea joining Team Canada, I, I think. As uh, I no longer wish oh. that I lived in, in the USA. That, that... <laughs> Landstorm was awesome with that. Sheik does the 100, which was awesome. So Paul tries again, going for 444 reps, as he reckons, since he can do 444 sit-ups, and he's fucked 444 women, it only makes sense that he could do 444 Persian Club repetitions. Now that would be something to see. He gets to 50, and the Iron Sheik... Wait. <laughs> I remember when he was talking about those 444. He also said there was 400... He'll drink 444 glasses of water a year. I'm like, that's pretty low. You only drink like practically one or two glasses a day then? You so, should drink much more than that. In, for a doctor's recommendation, uh, you would have to drink 2,920 glasses of water in a day to get your eight glasses of water in. So uh, if he's only drinking 444 glasses of water, I can only assume that that's what it takes to... Uh, wash down all his fucking roid pills that he must be popping. Yeah, must be working out for him. Look how jacked he is. So, Doug, so Sheik, Ellering gets to 50, and Sheik Pearl harbors him, jumps him, which, okay, thank, thankfully for that, because the segment's getting boring, but why wouldn't the Iron Sheik just stand back and watch this guy make a fucking idiot of himself? Because there's no way he could do 444. Just let him do it. Let him try. Well, I mean... Surely he's not going to do 444, but he'll probably beat Sheik's 100. And he doesn't want to be like, oh, he still did more than he did again. So um, he's like, screw that. I, I don't want to have to do double that even, because that's what he says he's supposed to do, do double. So he's like, I'm, I'm just going to attack him now. And he gave him a classic beatdown. Classic beatdown, stomping him, hammering him, big forearms to the back. And he locks in that camel clutch. Break your fucking back, Ellering. I break your back. But uh, Ellering escapes the camel clutch, and they trade big bombs. I love watching two stars go at it. It seems that every time this happens in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, uh, the heels roll out and run away in two seconds. You never get to see, you know, even the, the, the actual exchange of blows. It always just seems to get, take, like, some run away right away, and they bail out. So it's cool to see, it's cool to see them go at it. Ellering sets up the neck breaker, and he's going to... He's going to plant it on the Iron Sheik, but Admiral Akbar, Sheik Adnan Casey comes in and hits him with the flag, and Watts calls a Gordon Soli play as the Sheik hits a lovely Northern Lights on Ellering and goes to town on him. The heels leave Ellering laying and walk away. Love this segment. It's like you said, this was the whole kit and caboodle. There was no weird cutoff where you never really get to see it because of Mid-Atlantic. They just kind of going at it for like a two seconds, and then that's it. The dust settles. But over here, this was almost like a match. Yeah, yeah, you get to see a lot of it. They give you, uh, you know, it's like uh, the, the, the sample size, the free taste of ice cream, but it was good. It was a big, it was a big old spoon. Next I loved it. Uh, is uh, another pretty high-stakes match, a little match with a little weight to it. It's Brian Blair, who's been on a little bit of a streak, winning his last two matches, and he's racing Paul Orndorff. Both guys from Tampa Bay. They start the match with the longest goddamn lockup I've ever seen in my life. Which, So they start by locking up, and they don't 
So the, the interesting, there's an interesting thread that goes on in this match where they're uh, they're like they're like locked together. I don't know if you notice this, but they're locked together for almost the entire match. So um, I'll, I'll go through the I'll go through the commentary, see what I'm talking about. So they go to the mat after the mat the lockup. They go to the mat, but they're still tangled, like they're still locked up. Bob Roop looks on from the outside as Brian Blair uh, locks up Paul Orndorff's head in his legs. And Paul tries to call timeout because he's got two free hands, which is pretty funny. Orndorff escapes and turns it into a leg lock on, of his own, but Brian Blair turns that into a long armbar spot, and they get back to their feet, and they're still connected. They haven't released from the, the very initial lockup, and we're four minutes into the match, and they're still touching each other. Like, they haven't ever separated. It's actually really interesting. So... Um, make some room for Orndorff finally makes some room by pushing Blair away, but, and, and he tries to drop kick, but Blair counters it and locks him back in the arm bar, which connects them again, basically for the rest of the match. So they wrestle around the arm bar and Orton catches a, Orndorff catches a suplex, but Blair locks his head with his legs and they remain connected still from that original lockup. Orndorff drops Blair's throat over the ropes and they finally separate. Orndorff lines up some punishing kicks and goes to the top rope for an elbow. Blair fights back and they go blow for blow. Orndorff rakes the eyes and hits a power slam, locks in the figure four, but Blair kicks him away. Orndorff goes for a standing suplex, which is countered, and Blair hits his own suplex. And now Blair locks in the figure four, which gets Bob Roop out of his chair, screaming instructions at Orndorff since they've been practicing how to counter it. Orndorff turns it around, and the bell rings. The ref called the match off. Brian Blair did not submit. This was a, a great and interesting match. I really enjoyed it. I had this as my match of the week. Me too. And it and it was because of all that wrestling they were doing. I mean, I saw some very old school, like, this is uh, great mat wrestling that they did. The transitions were perfect. It was very realistic. Like, it didn't seem like it was fake at all. It felt like two guys trying to out-wrestle each other. It, yeah, it, that's exactly what it felt like. It was like two amateurs having a, a wrestling contest. And then when they finally did separate after the mat wrestling segment, which lasted five or six good minutes, then it just went into overdrive and, and you built up to their big spots, like the big power slam and big uh, big suplex, big power slam, and then into the figure four ending, which, which was cool. Yeah, it was an awesome match. And I like the story that they're telling too with that figure four leg lock going around and who's using it and who's able to su sustain damage from it, uh, withstand damage from it, who's able, who's not able and capitulates, as more Ronaldo would say. <laughs> oh, Who capitulates God, to don't, it. Don't start. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, like, so they brought Bob Roop. Bob Roop is out here with Orton because Roop has been training Orton to counter the figure four. So as soon as Blair locks in the figure four, Roop gets out of his chair he's at ringside and he starts shouting at Orndorff like what to do and Orndorff reverses it and gets the win off the reversal so yeah it's a yeah great stuff I, I really enjoyed it and, uh, and it was a very interesting finish because yeah the Brian Blair was upside down in the reverse figure four and so he had nowhere to go and he didn't tap out but I guess the was the master awarded to Paul Orndorff so yeah Orndorff wins like the ref goes up to the to the commentary's desk, and it's like, I want to make it very clear that Brian Blair did not submit, but the referee stopped the match. So, yes, uh, Orndorff like wins a TKO. by TKO, I, I suppose. Yeah. 
Our next match is the Million Dollar Man versus Mike Boyer. They wrestle a good one. Arm bars and backslides back and forth. I think uh, I think Ted gives Boyer a little too much offense as Boyer just hammers him in the corner. But Ted hits a big backdrop and a power slam and locks in the figure four and grabs the win with it. He's getting, uh, he's getting Paul Orndorff ready for the inevitable. He's like, that figure four is coming for you. Eventually. It's got to end in a submission match, right? Like that's that's what it's that's what it's got to be. That's what I'm hoping. The next match is Frank Bond, uh, Bond, Bond, not Frank Bond, and Frank, Frank Monty. Monty. Versus Frank Monty and something Bonner. Something Bond and Frank Monty. These are the job teams, so forgive me. Versus Roop and Bob Orton Jr. Bob Orton with the classic tasseled vest and taped elbow. Bond looks a little bit like uh, Nicolas Cage, I thought. I wondered uh, if he could eat a peach for hours. I didn't see any resemblance, but then again, the, the picture is so kind of... Pixely because it's old time cameras. There's a resemblance, believe me. Bob Roop refuses a handshake from Bond. Uh, Bond and Monty tag in and out early, getting the jump on the heels with a long headlock spot on Orton. Monty even gets on Roop with some nice head scissors. They work over Orton. Again, Monty hits a big slam on Orton. So the uh, job team in complete control here. But Roop distracts the ref and they pick up a double clothesline turning things back into control of them for the heels. Monty rolls up Roop, but Roop tags Orton, which uh, Monty doesn't see. And Orton hits a guillotine leg drop. Holy smokes, man. This guy got like six feet of air. Got six feet of air that time. There was a lot of tandem offense in this tag match. Yeah. A yes. lot of double teaming. And uh, this match actually may have saved AEW tag wrestling for me. Because throughout this match, because of so many double teaming between uh, Orton and Roop, um, I was actually I actually heard something I think from Bill Watts on commentary saying something like, "Listen, it's not the uh, the team's fault that the referee's not paying attention. Frank Monty or whoever was getting on, on the apron, I think it was Monty, possibly Bono." He's getting distracted. He's trying to distract the ref and say, hey, look, pay attention to what they're doing. No, 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 you get back in your corner. Don't come inside the ring. And so Bill was saying, hey, listen, don't leave it in the hands of the ref. You know, It's up to you to control this match. Don't let it turn into a handicap situation like that. It's not the ref's job to be doing all that. I wish that in AEW, that especially with a Jim Ross out there on, on the table, that he would make, instead of just complaining like, which Jim Ross always just slyly complains about the tag team, saying, I don't know why why they allow stuff like that. He oh, should, boy, this he is should do what Bill Watts did. Why doesn't he just try and save it like Bill Watts did? Yeah, just like just throw a little thing like, I, I know you can't get, you're wondering where this tag was, but it's just that hard for the referee to keep up with all this action kind of thing, you know? Just He's, you're right. He, JR is focusing too much on the person who doesn't really matter. They matter, but... They're supposed to be like invisible, like like a fly on the wall. The ref is not the focus. It's the rest. It's the wrestlers that's the focus. So that's what Bill Watts did. He put the focus on the wrestlers, saying, like, yeah, they got a two on one situation. Don't leave it in the hands of the ref. The ref wants there to be a decision. This is supposed to be a sanctioned battle where there's a winner's purse, you know. So it's like the referee wants there to be uh, a decision. I got clean falls. So, Exactly. So they're willing to, to try to let things go 
And if you're complaining, say, well, you take control of the match so you don't have to complain. Back to the match, I was talking about Orton hitting this sky-high leg drop. He gets he gets so much air. It looked like Michael Jordan going for a slam dunk, and it was it was massive. It made Hogan's uh, actually look kind of weak, I thought, although Hogan has the giant fucking leg. So. He's a big guy, too. He's big. Yeah. Mike Bond gets in and slams both heels. Orton tags in, and there's a crisscross. Uh, and Orton tags out, but Bond doesn't see the tag. He rolls up Orton, but now Roop is the legal man, so he just saunters over and kicks Bond in the head. Orton with a beauty of a pile driver, and it's a three-count match over. Yeah, this was a really great match. Um, a lot of the matches this week, very competitive, well-wrestled out, well-booked, I should say. Um, I was very pleased with most of them. So we kind of take a little, we kind of take a turn for the worst here with our last two matches. Uh, one is Ed Wiskowski versus Frank Renesto Jr., uh, who looks like Wario. Wiskowski controls this one, battering Renesto and finishing with a backbreaker. Zero offense from Renesto. And then we go right into Sheik versus Don Serrano. So I'm just, I got a note here that says I'm getting a headache from so many matches without a break. Like, it's just like match, match, match. The bell rings on, finishes up on one match, they go into commercial, come back, and you're in the next match. Nothing breaks up the action. Like, we got the uh, the Ellering and Sheik thing. But when you're over on Mid-Atlantic, and, and it's like between every match, you get a promo. And usually the promos are pretty great. They're a lot of fun. Here, again, third week in a row, nothing. It's just match, 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 match. So many matches. Dave Meltzer must be having a fucking spoogegasm. It's a different approach to Mid-Atlantic. Um, I won't say I hate it, because I have not disliked it at all. It's just a different approach, in, in my opinion, and it seems to work for them because I'm getting a lot of good quality matches, competitive matches. you got to have both. you got to have both. A couple of squash jobs. Apparently, you don't need to have both if you're able to tell a story with just the matches themselves and what happens in between the two bells, which they've been doing uh, in, in, in uh, they're doing it very well. You got so we go right into Iron Sheik versus Don Serrano, our main event. Who? Anyway, he's the uh, guy from Puerto Rico, I believe. Sheik jumps in before the bell. And Paul Ellering comes out right away to get his revenge. So the match is just thrown out right away. Ellering gives Sheik a bit of a whooping. Uh, Sheik Adnan Al Casey pulls the Iron Sheik out of the ring, and they hit the road, and we are out. So I mean, a little bit more storytelling here. But I, I thought it was a little silly to give uh, Ellering his heat back on the very same show after he took the beating. This should have really saved this for next week. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how long this program between these two are going to are supposed to be. I, I didn't know Paul Ellering was uh, big time like that. I thought Iron Sheik would have been fighting somebody for like one of the heavyweight championships by now, but I guess not. Um, but yeah, between this storyline and uh, you got. Paul Orndorff and Ted DiBiase with the figure four leg lock. Cowboy Bob Orton backing him up. I'm liking the storyline so far. Great storytelling on this show. So that's the show. It was good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, both, So I guess both of our match of the week is is on this show this week. So. Yes, it, yep, that definitely got it. Uh, Orndorff versus Blair. Eh, yeah, a, a good match. Two names, too, which which I like to see. And now we will turn the tables and go over to Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. It is the next day, December 26th. Um, we get the typical rundown from Crockett and Cottle at the desk. 
Billy Robinson will be back this week. Ivan Koloff here with the television title. And the cock of the walk, Terry Taylor. Rookie of the year. Baker and Fergie will be here as well. And, of course, Sergeant Slaughter must put up his $1,000. Now, hold on. We captured a, captured a little audio for it here. Just a second. Well, I came out here to tell you that I still have that $1,000 up to anybody that can break the Cobra Clutch. I've been working out extra hard, getting my bicep pumped up, getting my forearms ready, my wrists ready, and any time... Just a minute. Here's NWA representative Sandy Scott right here. Sandy? Uh, For some time now, he's put this $1,000 challenge up, and I have not yet seen him go in there. There's lots of guys that want to try Just a minute. Let me talk. All right? You've been talking about it. You've been throwing it up all the time. Uh, last week you did a demonstration. That's right. You've been bypassing, putting up the thousand dollars. Right. Well, I, I got a couple guys who want to try it. Charlie Fulton. Excuse me. Later on in this program, we're going to have a drawing, and we are going to pick somebody Ooh. for you to put that thousand dollars up, and you're going to put it up. There you go. It will be a. We're going to settle it this week. There's going to be a drawing. And Sergeant Slaughter will have to put up the $1,000 in the Cobra Clutch Challenge. Who can break that Cobra Clutch? We'll find out who wins the draw. That's going to happen tonight. It's about time because his goose is cooked. He put the money up himself. I mean, he should be able to, the rules should be whatever he says it is. It's his money. He He's wants to give Larson a shot, then Larson should get the shot. He's like, I like Larson. Larson He's always talking about how he wants to put it on Larson because he knows he can tap him out with it. (laughs) That's so funny. The the, the crowd was chanting Jake Roberts during that whole name. Yeah, cool, right? And and as soon as Scott, Sandy Scott, dropped the name, Slaughter lost his shit. Like, like, we're going to give it to Jake Roberts. Jake Roberts, what what about Larson? (laughs) Doesn't Larson want a shot at this thing? (laughs) I'll give it to Larson. See now, I like to capture the audio from the from the promos and put the audio in the in the shows because I think it makes our show a little more fun to listen to because you get to listen to some of the audio from the time and there's some great promos and you know how many I got from Mid Atlantic this week six how many I got from Mid South nothing they got promos with the uh, the. Baton. Oh, yeah. 61, 62, 63, 65, 65, 66, 67. Or Paul Ellering's nonstop saying, start recording. Can you dig that? Do you, can you, do you dig it? Ah, dig it. Yeah, can you dig that? I fuck a lot of women. Can you dig that? The announcer no sold that. He totally sandbagged him on that, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, anyway, Slaughter's going to put up his thousand, uh, $1,000 tonight. Going to lock that Cobra Clutch on somebody. We'll get back to that. Our opening match is Fulton and Miller versus Jake, the Snake Roberts, and Barry Windham, Blackjack Mulligan Jr. Um, this is their third match together, Jake and Windham, so I guess we can maybe consider them an actual uh, tag team now. And once again, this was a good competitive tag match. Um Maybe we're getting into the area where, okay, now we're going to give the audience some more competitive matches on these cards as opposed to just simple squash matches to establish new characters that we want to build. 
So Sandy Scott waddles back out to bully Sergeant Slaughter some more, this asshole. And uh, Cottle says to Sandy Scott, as they're, they're putting down Slaughter's, Cottle says to Sandy Scott, Slaughter is irate. I think you really turned him on. I don't think that that means what you think it means, Bob Cottle. No, that, that was the terminology back then. Mm. Oh, okay, sure. Let's get physical, physical. Wyndham and Jake, lightning quick tags, working on Fulton's arm. Uh, Wyndham drops, ducks a dropkick and a big slam to the, and then back on the arm. Fulton uses Miller's knee to ram Wyndham's head into, and the heels take over to match. Back and forth until Roberts hits Miller with a backbreaker for two, and the knee lift, that awesome knee lift, ends the match. I like these two together. During the match, the uh, crowd is chanting, let's go Barry, let's go Barry, to Black Jack Mulligan Jr. So it seems to me that they know that he's Barry Wyndham. Or that his name is Barry Wyndham. So I don't know why they're calling him Black Jack Mulligan Jr. If the crowd is chanting you, Barry. You, you heard him. You heard Barry? Because I heard Junior. Let's go Junior. I heard Barry. I mean, I, maybe I should have captured the audio. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, that was a great ending. I love that running knee. The, the freaking backbreaker just before, though. What was Miller trying to do? Was he trying to get dropped on his head? Was I don't know. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a little sloppy. It was very, very sloppy because Roberts had to really try to hold him up. And it not was like a, a meal shared between between Sandy Scott and Cowboy Bill Watts. Sloppy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, other than that, a good, a good segment, though. After commercial, we get uh, Billy Robinson versus Tony Anthony. This, uh, so we were really impressed with Robinson last week, and we'll see him back again now with Tony, with the dirty white boy Tony Anthony from uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. That's team. That's T.L. Hopper. T.L. Hopper. Yeah, get your plunger, because this match is shit. This match goes to the mat with a long headlock by Tony Anthony, which Robinson escapes masterfully and hits a nice European uppercut and some brutal knees. Robinson is slow, very methodical, but periodically he's vicious, which I, I really like. It's like, uh, it's like watching soccer, where you're like, oh, God, this is boring, this is boring, and then something exciting happens, and you're like, wow, I love soccer. Um, his, his style of European wrestling is very, like when I'm watching it, I said, this is just like what Pete Dunne is like. Pete Dunne is a very technical wrestler, but he can turn on that bruiserweight mode and start stomping on your fingers and pulling on some joint, you know, it's vicious. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's the European style. In it's fact, that, like in this the match, thing, the thing about it is like where Pete Dunne, you know, in, in modern day NXT where like. Everything looks uh, very violent in, in modern wrestling. But here in Mid-Atlantic, like when Billy Robinson do, does this stuff, it, it just look, it looks, so, uh, it looks so vicious compared to, you know, like compared to the stuff you see in the opening match, like a body slam. The, r- the roughest thing you're going to see is a drop kick. And then this guy like bends you in half and then drops you on your head. And you're like, holy jeez. He's using actual maneuvers. In fact, I think... Um... Someone did a distinguishing between the two styles of European style versus North America style. And uh, I guess it was um, Crockett who said this, is that the European style is very like upper body, like Greco-Roman. You know, they're trying to grapple you to the ground, whereas North America is focused on the ground game. That's why you see so many uh, rest holds that are on the ground for the North American style. Interesting. 
Paul Nelson now, as Billy Rob. Oh, sorry, Billy Robinson hits a gut wrench suplex for two. Then he locks in a full Nelson, and it feels like these two are really wrestling each other. That's my that's my note. Robinson then twists his boot in Anthony's eye, which is just a nasty spot. Then he hits a sloppy, but uh, pretty brutal looking tombstone pile driver, and Anthony kicks out. And Robinson hits him with the amazing <laughs> backbreaker. His backbreaker is so crisp, and it just looks like it bends you in half. I wouldn't want to get hit with that. And he wins with it. It, it made up for that tombstone pile driver, which Teal Hopper, when he kicked out, I was like, I can't believe someone has kicked out of a tombstone pile driver before, and it's Teal Hopper. Yeah, that, yes. It was, like, obviously it's not being used as a finisher, but, like, when you think about it objectively, tombstone pile driver, this guy got, just got dropped on his head. So, like, that should be the three count and not a backbreaker. But anyway. Like, the iconic move that it has become. It's like, so who's cooking out from that move? Has Shawn Michaels? No. Has Psycho Sid? No. How about Teal Halper? Actually, yes. Actually, yes. <laughs> yeah, he has done it. Um, so after that match, we get our local Channel 31 ad. These things I love. So they have a different ad for each market, and we are watching the Ann Arbor, Michigan ad. So we get uh, Austin Idol coming back out. We got a little clip here for that. Hold on. And uh, I just want to make it totally crystal clear to you right now that I'm not going to come out here and say that I've got the prettiest face in the entire world today, and I'm not going to come out here and say that I've got the sexiest body than any other athlete in the world today, and I'm definitely not going to come out here and say that I wear the beautiful $3,500 Rolex watches. I'm not going to say anything about the beautiful gold jewelry around my 18-and-a-half-inch neck. These things are totally evident to these wrestling fans here in Ann Arbor. You know, there's no question about it. The greatest football coach of all time, Bo Schembechler, he's in Michigan. Schembechler, that's what I said. And now the time has come for them to see, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the greatest wrestler that has ever existed in the world. And you're looking at him right now, Austin Idol. The only thing I want to do is relay a message to the girls out there because it doesn't make any difference where I go. The girls always do one thing. They always beg and they plead Austin Idol to set up kissing booths. And I want you to know right now, my kisses are $50 a whack, girls. $50 a whack for a kiss from Austin Idol. Now this is... It's, I'm going to say that it's an amazing pro, pro, promo, but this is a consummate professional wrestling promo, and you just can't have a professional wrestling show without stuff like this. And Mid-South just ain't giving it to me. You know what's not giving it to us is freaking the main roster, like Raw and SmackDown. They don't sound like this anymore. It's terrible. It's Yeah. You know? Like I said, this is a consummate professional wrestling promo. Um, $50 a whack for a kiss. Jeez Louise. Koloff comes out next, and he makes some uh, remarks about invading Ann Arbor, like the Russians invade, I guess, uh, Cold War era, uh, where Russians are bad. Whatever we want, we take it. If yeah. we want something, it becomes ours. Very good. And then it's our boy, the Hot Scott. And we got some of this, too. Mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion, Rildy Roddy Piper. Channel 31. <laughs> well, it's truly a pleasure to be here on Channel 31. It's truly a pleasure for me, have me just absolutely any place, isn't it? It's truly a pleasure to have the Mid-Atlantic champion. And uh, my name is Roddy Piper, and uh, you're not. My name is Roddy Piper, and you're not. This was, of course, stolen directly from Chevy Chase, who made this saying uh, very famous in the season one of Saturday Night Live. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't care if you scream, it's what you scream that counts. I gotta go. Good evening, I'm Chevy Chase. 
This would also be stolen in the late 1990s by Paul Bearer. Because I'm Paul Bearer and you're not. Well, thank God that I'm not a 450-pound man who died of a heart attack. Hey, he's a legend. It only works when you're somebody that other people would want to be. I wouldn't mind being Roddy Piper. Chevy Chase is a bit of an asshole, but he's had a, he's had a great life. I mean, he's the dad if in I the Christmas Paul, vacation movies. Why would I want to be a guy Paul that Bear, has a... a if, has, I got Paul, if I got Paul Bearer's money, I'd want to be Paul Bearer, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> next match is Koloff versus Larson. Hey, Larson, who is the number one guy in line for the shot at uh, Sergeant Slaughter's Cobra Clutch Challenge. <laughs> hey, you know what? He might he might win that TV title and $1,000 in one night. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. That doesn't happen. Koloff works the arm. Write us and tell us what you think of Terry Taylor, Crockett says. As Koloff hits a big backdrop, write us in 1989 and uh, tell us what you think of Terry Taylor there when he when he gets the WF. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear the fans. Uh, how many how how many Rooster Booster uh, mails did he get? Even Terry Taylor's mom must have been ashamed to be a Rooster Booster. Koloff sets up and hits that awesome. Uh, so he, like we he gets the guy in the corner, Larson. And, and he goes to the top rope, and he puts the knee in the back of your head, and then just drives your head into the mat. Kind of looks like a bulldog, but instead of a headlock, he just uses his knee. It looks absolutely nasty. Uh, this has got to be... Well, I, I, this is one of those wrestling moves where I'm like, man, I don't want anybody to do this to me. Like, it, it, this would hurt like a bastard. You have to take the bump, like how Ric Flair... You know the Ric Flair flop drop yeah. uh, bump? He t- he, so he has two variations. One is when he just sort of falls down. And then there's another one where he kind of walks backwards a little bit. It takes like two or three steps backwards and then falls with one with one hand out. This That move, you got to take it like that. Otherwise, that knee's going to crack your head right into your, right into the, well, not even so much the knee, but your head will hit the mat itself too. Um, but if you take it on the side, like Ric Flair takes that bump, it, it it helps with it a lot. Sandy Scott out out again after this match, and uh, he has some. I don't really know what they were talking about. He has some loophole, something about Gene Anderson and the Ninja, and and they're gonna they're gonna make Gene Anderson fight Paul Jones. I'm not supposedly sure. supposedly Ninja was supposed to have a match against someone. Uh, Gene Anderson was supposed to be in his corner. Um, even though it was like originally supposed to be, I guess, Gene's match or something like that. So Sandy Scott just reverses and says, no, no, no. Uh, you can't have someone fill in for you, Gene Anderson. It will be you fighting. Not Gene Anderson can't him. wrestle. He's a, He's got Parkinson's disease. Leave him alone, Sandy Scott. I mean, he's, he's working apparently. He's had, I guess, on the, on the house shows. It seems so. Out comes Old Man Winter, Johnny Weaver. Holy fuck. Talk, talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark. This guy looks like he crawled out of the Ark of the Covenant, man. This guy must be 95 years old. And he's talking about battle royals. And this well, guy's a... you know, for a guy who's famous for his his deep arm drags, he's got a lot of blading scars on his forehead, I noticed. He must have been through some wars. I agreed. Uh, so Johnny Weaver talks about how unpredictable a battle royal is and how the fans love them. And then, uh, so I guess this is another another promo for their 
for their upcoming Ann Arbor event, Ray Stevens comes out and he gets a nice pop with Ole's belt. Let's take a listen. Like he did his brother. Now, I used to think that uh, oh, Gene Anderson was reasonably intelligent, but if he's going to let his brother use his head for a coconut, he's not too intelligent. Brother, I got your gold right here, Ole Anderson. You know, and there's a lot of different type of matches, a lot of tournaments. You may be avoiding me right now, but one of these days, somewhere, you're going to have to come around. And brother, when you come around to me, I'm going to kick your can like it's never been kicked. You're not going to bust Ray Stevens' head open and get away with it to sacrifice me to win a match. Do it to your own family, but not to Ray Stevens. Playing up again Gene Anderson's real-life uh, twitch and nerve damage from his neck surgery, that uh, making it seem like Ole Anderson, uh, he's like that because Ole Anderson endangered him in, in so many matches. It's really interesting. Uh, I, I love I love what I'm seeing from Ray Stevens here. And he's only been on the show, I think, for three weeks now, maybe four at the absolute most. Um, and he's already made a big impact. He stole his his rival's belt. Just flat out took he it. He was in the match. Hey, I mean, this he, is he won the match. So, he, he yeah, he made the right. He made the pinfall. So it's like, hey, this is freaking my belt as far as I'm concerned. Next match is Tony Wario Russo versus the Red Rooster NWA Rookie of the Year Terry Taylor. The fans are going absolutely crazy over Terry Taylor. The tale of the tape from Jim Crockett. Jim Crockett. No, from Bob Cottle. No, David Crockett. Yeah, I'm getting confused. The tail yeah, of the tape from David Crockett. Crockett. He is 26 years old, 226 pounds, 6 feet tall, from Kilford College in North Carolina, trained by the Briscoes, and he won the Channel 17 National Television Championship. What a, what a prestigious title that must be, as Terry Taylor works Wario's arm on the mat. The announcers are in absolute overdrive to present to you the Rookie of the Year. I like it. Yeah, and that's a good way to, you know, introduce them. I think we've only seen him one other time on Mid-Atlantic. And it's a, just a great way to uh, get him over. Sandy Scott comes out to the ring making his unprecedented fifth appearance on this show. Take a goddamn break, Sandy Scott. You suck. He has the results of the draw, and it will be Blackjack Mulligan Jr., Barry Windham who will try to break Sergeant Slaughter's Cobra Clutch. It's not Larson? <laughs> Larson. Are you, sure, are you sure it's not Larson? I know that Larson's been itching for a, for a chance at the Cobra Clutch. <laughs> Wario and Taylor roll around on the mat in a very boring effort, twisting each other's arms and legs for about four minutes. Then Russo with the tries for the Wario waft, but Taylor wins it with the Judas effect. He has that nice spinning elbow, very similar to what Chris Jericho's using. I'd call this match the turkey of the week, but it's a rooster. Was there an atomic drop in this match, or was it in that tag match main event? I can't remember. It wasn't and in I this match. And I wanted to ask, okay, because I was going to ask you, when's the last time you've seen one? <laughs> in an atomic, atomic drop? drop? Oh, there's more coming. There's more coming. A WIHT TV Channel 31 promo once again with old man Johnny Weaver, who calls himself an old Indiana boy. Johnny Weaver, you haven't been an Indiana boy for 55 years. And here comes Jimmy Valiant, who at 44 years old himself is half the age of Johnny Weaver. Jimmy calls Weaver a party man. <laughs> Jimmy calls Weaver a party man, says he's going to take him out after the show. Johnny Weaver's idea of a party would be sitting at his table with his wife, doing a puzzle and drinking a cup of hot tea and having half a bowl of pretzels. 
and then having some Metamucil, taking a shit and going to bed. My Margaret, what a subpar hand. <laughs> Tag team champions are Ox Baker and Pretty Boy Carl Fergie versus Valentino and Don Carnoodle. The fans are chanting Pretty Boy at Fergie when he gets in the ring. And then when he tags Ox, they call him Ugly Boy. Well, that's rude. I mean, this guy is a big, ugly motherfucker. Talk about hijacking a man's feelings. Jeez. This audience (laughs) has no respect at all. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. Ox Baker hits an absolutely atrocious-looking suplex, and Pretty Boy comes in for yet another armbar, the 18th of the show, as the champs dominate the jobbers. Ox... So while Fergie's got this arm bar locked in, Ox is yelling him, Break his arm! Break his arm! Which is the best part of the match. Hot tag to Kernodal, and he immediately gets caught by Baker and beaten down. Kernodal with a big backdrop on Carl Fergie, uh, but Baker gets tagged in and hits him with the... Goes for the lethal heart punch, which we talked about last week, has actually killed two other people. The ref jumps in and stops it in a cool spot, but then Carl Fergie hits a punch of his own and wins. Not a good match. And it was uh, it was a long one. It was like over like I think five six minutes long. Which is long for uh for this for this for, program for this show. Yeah. yeah. Sandy Scott appearance number six. He's making his and that he has now tied brownie batter and yellow cake batter uh, Sonic milkshakes for the amount of appearances he can have on a, a wrestling show. As there were six different ads for NXT. I looked into this uh, deal. So what happens? for for the wwe and so they'll get uh they get say for like a quarter of a million dollars so their uh partnership with like snickers and skittles and sonic is that they have to say throughout the course of a year they have to say so many times so it'd be like for snickers pay them two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and you have to say the word snickers a thousand times in the year that's what i figured it is i mean there must be a specific because they plan these things out to a T. Yeah. It's like, listen, we need to have it at least five per show. So that yes. means once every 20 whatever minutes, you know. Anyway, uh, the I'll tell you this. The cake batter and brownie batter milkshakes from Sonic look a lot more appetizing than Sandy Scott. Jim Nelson hanging around ringside. Lieutenant Nelson, Sergeant Slaughter's... Uh, protege here as barry windham gets in the chair the crowd is calling him barry so i guess they know what's up that was my note they might have been saying junior you might be right but i heard barry so this is funny because when i heard them chanting earlier i rewound it because i said what are they chanting and that's what so i was kind of like i was listening for it intent because i was the question said well i might have been hearing what i wanted to hear could be after some posturing, Sarge locks in the camel clutch, releases it, taking his sweet time, uh, trying to get the right angle, trying to put his hand in the right spot, getting that good lock on the camel clutch. He sneaks in an elbow, elbowing him in the side of the head. What? That's not fair. Sergeant Slaughter then goes for a hair pull, uh, like he's milking it, pulling his hair behind the, behind the referee's back. We're not even in a match here. Then he locks in the camel clutch, and we are on. Uh, this is absolutely frantic. So actually, I actually thought this was really, really a lot of fun. So Sergeant Slaughter locks in the camel clutch. This thing is in for like a good three minutes. Barry Windham runs him into the corner, but Slaughter holds on. Barry tries an arm drag, but Sergeant Slaughter rolls through the arm drag, holding onto the camel clutch, and both guys get back to their feet in a really neat spot. 
Go, Barry, go! The crowd chants. I'm sure that's what they were saying. Barry runs him into the turnbuckle face first this time, but Slaughter still holds on. This is actually way more exciting than I thought it would be. Both men are back up, and the clutch is still locked in. Barry goes down and fights his way back up. In uh, Slaughter knees Coddle twice. Uh, sorry, he knees Wyndham twice, and Bob <laughs> Coddle goes crazy on commentary. But the show goes off the air before the resolution, which I have to say is a load of shit. No, cliffhanger. Now you got to tune in next week and find out what happened. No, see, I like I get that, but like you, you tricked me already. Like you said that there was going to be a, co- a Cobra Clutch two weeks ago. Then you said that there was going to be a Cobra Clutch challenge last week. And both of those, they went off the air before the clutch got locked in. And this time, and while it is one. locked in, you put the show off the air before the resolution. Like, you, you can't... It. I understand the, the idea behind it, but this kind of thing really burns out an audience. Like, you can't... You have to give me a resolution sometimes. Not me. I'm tuned in for next week. I can't wait to find out. I thought that... Uh, oh, boy. Okay, so that's Mid-Atlantic for this week. Of course, I, I, I really enjoyed watching both shows. I'm never going to say that I don't enjoy them because this old wrestling is fantastic. But So we've been scoring it. Uh I have Mid-Atlantic winning last two weeks in a row, and Justin has it down in the middle of Mid-Atlantic 1, Mid-South 1. What are you going to say about this week? I believe I gave it uh, to Mid-South. I'm going to give it to Mid-South this week as well, although I'm still disappointed about uh, the lack of promos since Mid-Atlantic didn't feature a lot of Roddy Piper this week, and he usually steals the show. Uh, They did lean heavily on their absolute MVP, Sergeant Slaughter, but, uh, yeah, this was just more of the same. And so I'm going to go with the awesome in-ring match between Orndorff and Blair as the best moment of the week. They had the match of the week. Um, I disagree about the storytelling. I'm getting my stories. I, I see three stories that I've invested in. I'm not, I, not got, saying that they're not telling stories. The... But you've got to give me those awesome promos. You've got to give me a, a, a classic, some classic heel. Pro- you've got to give me the promos. Like, that's half of wrestling. Well, I mean, she he's been healing up like I'm not gonna do that, and uh, you know, and his guy talks for him, his mouthpiece. Um, I I I I feel it like with the promos, but um, I, the only reason why I didn't give it to Mid Atlantic, aside from not having the match of the week, was I thought their big last segment probably should have never taken place, just because the moment Sergeant Slaughter dropped the elbow, if I was Disqualified, uh, right? Junior. That should have been a thousand dollars. If I was junior, I would have just clocked him at that point. Like, Where was Sandy Scott to jump in the ring and say, "I gotta give that thousand dollars to Baron Windham"? Yeah, it was just kind of random, a little random. All right, so that's uh, that is territory tales for this week. Join us again on uh, next next uh, Wednesday. We'll be putting out the new uh, new episode. We're going to be going to the first week of January and doing all three: Mid Atlantic, Mid South, and Night World Class. Night. 1982, we're yeah, we starting. Into can you, 1982, can you yes, believe how many legends we've already seen in just the end part of 1981? Yeah, it's exciting to think about what, what like, now we're going to see a whole year play out here. So, we like, we, yeah, started, we, cover, we started covering this. It was just Mid-Atlantic in November, as that's the oldest thing in the, that the, the oldest stuff that the network had. So now, and there was a bunch of stuff missing. Now it's. I think we're going right. to get every every week a little bit so. more fluidity. A little more fluidity. But let me yeah. list a couple. Let me list a couple of names for you. Uh, 
feel free to catch, if you catch me not naming anyone, but we've already seen Jake the Snake Roberts, Barry Windham, a.k.a. Jr., Rowdy Rowdy Piper, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Ted DiBiase, Paul Orndorff, Junkyard Dog, Sergeant Slaughter, Blackjack Mulligan, Austin Idol, Ivan Koloff, Ernie Ladd, Paul Erling, Iron Sheik. There's Already still other, there's still guys that are floating around that we just haven't seen yet too. We have not seen, yes. we have not seen Dusty Rhodes. We have not seen Ric Flair and we have not seen Andre the Giant. And you know, those guys are all coming around. I'm telling you, man, wrestling is, this is when it was at, at its best. I'm telling you. Not going to disagree with you, but that's it for the Territory Tales today. But now it is time for the Battle Bowl and Lethal Lottery, our Greatest WWF Champion Battle Bowl. Now, what is the Battle Bowl Lethal Lottery of WWF Champions? Well, I'll tell you. First, we have the Lethal Lottery. We took every WWF Champion. Uh, not that SmackDown title. Not Universal bullshit. The WWF title and then the, and the WWE title. That same lineage. We took every champion who ever had that belt. We put them in a pot and we drew them out. Random teams. Lethal Lottery. Then we put one team against another team. Random drawings. And whichever team we figure has the two best champions, they move on to the Battle Bowl. When they're in the Battle Bowl, it's every man for themselves. And we are just going to discuss and rank uh, who is the best champion of all the guys that make it to the Battle Bowl. So, you're, so far, we have Hogan and Savage. Uh, they won. They, were, they ended up as a team somehow, and they won their Lethal Lottery match. And Austin and Sid Vicious, they just defeated... The Undertaker and Big Daddy Cool Diesel last week. They both, all four men went to the Battle Bowl, and we have ranked them. We had on on our other show, on our other show, we had a nice discussion about Hogan and Austin, and we decided that Hogan was a better WWF champion, champion than Austin. So our order in Battle Bowl right now is number one Hulk Hogan, number two Steve Austin, number three the Macho Man, yeah, and number four somehow Sid Vicious is in that Battle Bowl, kicking around. Who is going to be number one? Who's going to end up in the top Psycho ten? Psycho Sid is lucky that he just looks good as a champion. Because in retrospect, in retrospect, I think Taker and Diesel probably should have won. But Austin's so Austin. good. I mean, exactly. with Austin, too. All right. Our matchup this week, it is legendary John Cena. And turkey time. Kane, one of maybe the worst WWF champion of all time, taking on two, the team of Rob Van Dam and Alberto Del Rio. So let's talk about uh, let's get let's do them in the order they came up in. So first we'll talk about Kane. Um, <laughs> so list of WWE champions. Hold on. Okay. So Kane has held this title one time for one day, and he lost it the next night. Of course, King of the Ring 1998, in a first blood match, he would defeat Steve Austin as Steve Austin got busted open, which I believe may have been an accident. They award Kane the belt. Kane shows up on Raw the very next night, and Steve Austin beats him, pins him, and wins the belt back. And that is Kane's one and only WWF Championship so this is without a doubt in my mind even worse than Vince McMahon as the worst champion on this list he's 
a one-day champion, not because of an accident, but because of the accident of booking the match stipulation. If you remember, it was a first blood match, but Kane vowed that if he couldn't, he would set himself on fire. I thought that, then, that was, I thought that's what was gonna happen. Yeah, and so they, they realized, like, I guess, right after they got backstage or the next day they said uh, we can't actually set someone on fire there's just too many risks involved in that stunt so that means they said shit we were just gonna have austin win and have it be an awesome title defense uh but now we have the book came to win and <laughs> because we can't have him set himself on fire <laughs> So that's it. That's all we have to. That's all we have to say about Kane. This is a shitty title reign. Beat by Steve Austin the next night. He has the title for the least amount of time than anybody. He never gets it again. It, right. It was just simply to say, uh oh, this will help get us out of having to go through the stunt of setting someone on fire on live TV. Okay, I do remember vividly uh, of being very pissed off that Kane had the belt, and I remember Paul Bear Kane coming out with the title, Paul Bear holding Kane's belt. I thought that was it was a pretty cool visual, but I was very happy when Steve Austin won it back the very next night. So, yeah, luckily for Kane, that his partner is perhaps now I know he hasn't won the Battle Bowl yet. He's perhaps one of the greatest WWE champions or WWF champions of all time. It's John Cena. 16 times, uh, so 13 is the number of with this particular belt and three others, so 13 time WWE heavyweight champion, John Cena. He got a couple of those title wins from the people he's going up against. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so winning the his uh, Hold on, let me get the, let me get the numbers here. John Cena, So he wins uh, April 3rd, 2005 at WrestleMania 21, of course, defeating John Bradshaw Layfield for his first title reign, which lasts a respectable 280 days. Wow, that's yes. something. Um, uh, John the Cena of the year. So the first, like, the first few John Cena title reigns are... Uh, fantastic and then it's like and then it's kind of like he hits a wall the, the later ones are, are pretty uh, meandering so we'll go through a few of these because there's just there's so many uh, so he wins from JBL he tips it for 280 days loses it to Edge then he wins it back at the Royal Rumble uh, and he holds it for 133 days then he loses it to Rob Van Dam and who we're going to be talking about in just a minute then he wins it back from Edge in Toronto at Unforgiven. I was there, baby! Uh, in a tables, ladders, and chairs match, had Cena lost, he would have to leave the Raw brand behind. And he holds this belt for his longest 380 days, the only time he would pass the year-long mark. Wow, and that's making him, what, a five-time champ at this, at this point? That's three. Oh, that's only number three. But they're all, each one is over 150 days, uh, including 280 and 380 days. So, yes. That is <laughs> something for this day and age Agreed. in WWE. Yes. Like, you didn't see this post 
1986. So he, like, this established John Cena as, like, long-term WWE champion. Now, in my mind, John Cena is synonymous with the WWE title. Like, he's a champion, and he's the chosen guy. He's, he's very much like Hogan. He's the chosen champion. He's always got the belt. But the, then the runs start falling apart. So he beats Orton in Montreal at something called Breaking Point, and he holds the belt for 21 days. Then he loses it. Then he beats Orton again, and he holds it for 49 days, and he loses it. Then he gets it from Sheamus, and he holds it for one day. That's when he loses it at the Elimination Chamber. Then he holds it for 84 days after beating Batista at WrestleMania 26. Then he holds it for 77 days at Extreme Rules. Then he holds it for nine or 20 days in 2011. Then in 2011, he holds it for two weeks, loses it to Alberto Del Rio. Then he holds it from WrestleMania 29 for 133 days and loses it. Then he holds it for 50 days and loses it. So in the back half, the, la the later 10 runs, uh, then he has it for two weeks again in 2017. In the late last later 10 runs, he, he only holds it for 100 days once. And a couple of times, he holds it for less than a month, three times. Um, maybe that was when they wanted to try to get some other people over by having them perform with Cena, but it just never worked when you got, um, because Miz didn't really get over until 2014, 15 after his, uh, stint with Sandow and then the stint where he went off on Daniel Bryan on, uh, Talking Smack. And then you had other guys like um, Wade Barrett, who I guess Cena just didn't want to give the rub to. And right. I guess probably played creative control. Uh, guys that just simply failed, like Rob Van Dam, you know. They, so they looked for other people to uh, say, like, hey, maybe we can have the, the only person who could really keep up was Edge. That was it, Edge and Orton. Edge and Orton are, are Cena's main foils, and they're great fits with him. I, I, I personally like Edge a lot more than I like Randy Orton, but I thought his feud with John Cena was awesome, and I was a big Edge fan. So, uh, worth mentioning that like John Cena is, like, he, he gets the Roman Reigns reaction, where when he has the belt, like, half the arena hates him and half the people like him. But when he, when he ends up where he is now, I think he's just universally loved. He worked his butt off to achieve that. He started yeah. off as just a typical, I'm a heel, you boo me. I'm a face, you cheer me. But then when he was getting that mega push, they said, we know you're supposed to be a face, but we don't like how you're being booked just straight to the top like this, shoved down our throats. We're booing that. And he had to work so extra hard to be at the top, but actually get the recognition for being the top guy. Uh, so through this title reign, there, there's too many to even talk about, but he's got a slew uh, of great matches. Uh, you know, all the all the matches against Edge, uh, you can pick or choose Orton. He faces Angle. He has a feud with Jericho. He has a feud with Triple H. He has uh, uh, the Umaga. The Umaga match was, was awesome at Royal Rumble. Um, you know, Brock Lesnar... <coughs> Like all, all of this guy's defended the belt, this belt 300 times. So everybody who's been through WWE and been to the top has faced John Cena for the title. He's got a lot of middling matches, but he's got a lot of great matches in there as well, sprinkled in. So, um, for probably his most memorable feuds and matches will be the ones in 2011 with CM Punk. 
Yes, of course, yeah. Uh, his his five-star match also. Uh, CM Punk, yeah. Uh, Cena's awesome. He's an awesome champion. He is synonymous with WWE champion. I think the only conversation... The next, like the we have. To, I want to save the rest of the conversation for when he obviously goes to uh, Battle Bowl and is he better than Austin and Hogan? I think so. Like I, I think we should save the rest of the Cena conversation and just leave leave it for that because he's going to get compared to those guys. Well, first he's going to get compared to Alberto. Wait, hold on. Alberto Del. So, for me, this is uh, set in stone, but as Vince McMahon likes to say, anything can happen here in the World Wrestling Federation. So, we're going to look at their opponents. Um, It is interesting. If these guys... So, unfortunately, like Alberto Del Rio and Robin Dan are two shitty champions, too. (laughs) Like, if this was a different... Like, because Kane is so bad. Like, you you got to win this match with your partner. And Cena is amazing. And Kane is... Lucky, he's on a shooting star. Uh, Cena is the best, one of the best champions of all time. Kane is literally the worst. If they were fighting a stronger team, if it was, if they were fighting Hogan and Savage, I think Cena would be eliminated before he even gets to the Battle Bowl. Fortunately for Kane and Johnny Boy, uh, they're facing Alberto Del Rio and Rob Van Dam. So let's take a look at. Uh, this is going to be very brief. Let's take yeah, a look at. So basically. Oh, you got this. Well, let's start with Rob. Yeah, let's start with Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam, he won it in uh, 2006, I think around summer or spring, uh, at a very important event that's still talked about to this day, ECW One Night One Night Stand. What a show. And, yeah. Uh, the only thing that surprised me is that I figured it would be in Philadelphia, but it was actually in New York. I don't know. Hammerstein. Uh, yeah, that's true, yeah. And... Um, and so he wins the title from Cena, uh, but he only ha- has it for 22 days. 22 days. I'll say this. Why? Awesome match. One of the most. Uh, one of the most like. It's like a live wire. The setting, the crowd at One Night Stand is one of a. It's like one of a kind. <laughs> Which you say about uh, Rob Van Dam? Uh, awesome <laughs> match. Awesome setting. Uh, the, the wicked scene entrance where he comes out holding the holding the belt up and people are pelting him with garbage and the if Cena wins we riot signs. Edge comes and in, interferes helping Rob Van Dam win. It's an awesome match, an awesome moment, uh, but it just like nothing happens after that. Unfortunately, Rob Van Rob, Rob Van Dam he was arrested for possession of narcotics. Him and Sabu, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah, they had like pills. And weren't Iron like, Cheek and Jim Duggan in the back? I don't know that it was all of them, but um, it was definitely Rob Van Dam at least yeah. one. And he's like, well, crap, he's got, he just got arrested and he's our champion, so they had to get the belt off of him. And here's the kicker. Because he wins the WWE Championship, the very next night or whatever night they have the ECW Weekly Show on, he was awarded as the first ever of the renewed brand. Right. The first ever ECW Heavyweight Championship. And he lost that too. And he he had to drop both of the titles in matches in within like 22 days, 23 days of winning the world the world championship, the most important title in the entire industry. Well, and that's it for Rob Van Dam's reign. Uh, com- 
an awesome match. Well, I'll say that. Like the good about it is it was an awesome match, an awesome moment. But like 21 days, so he's got the belt for three weeks. Drop drops it to Edge, and then he's suspended. So like you know, see you in a year. He he didn't look really strong for the three or four weeks he had the title anyway. That was um, never going to happen. That Vince McMahon is never going to put another an ECW guy as, as old the, WWE guys. The only claim to fame that he had during the reign, is like you said, was the match to win it, and also another title defense that ended in a no contest against John Cena on Raw. They had like another rematch, ah. and it was another it was another barn burner until Edge came in and fucked shit up again. Who knows what would have happened if he hadn't uh, been suspended? But I have a feeling. I'm telling you, yeah. I have a feeling that the run was going to be underwhelming either way. That's my gut feeling. We, we would have gotten some nice matches. We probably would have gotten anything but just a lot of great matches. His tag team partner, partner, Alberto Del Rio. To, to be fair, Del Rio is not terrible. It's just unfortunately overshadowed. Uh, he wins it in um, 2011 in between the John Cena and CM Punk feud mm -hmm. for the undisputed WWE title. So um, CM Punk finally gets the title and he solidifies that he's the one true champion because he beats John Cena at SummerSlam. But then Alberto Del Rio cashes in on a weekend CM Punk. Pretty good, but only holds it for 30 days before losing it to John Cena at the next pay-per-view United Champions in September. And um, he was a pretty decent heel throughout this. He's saying, like, it's my destiny to be the champion. Oh, yes. Because some people that, just... Yeah. He's, like, just some... He's kind of like playing like Charlotte Flair. Like, like, like you know, I'm better. Some people are just born to born be... Born for it, yeah. Right, because I believe he is a second-generation superstar. He is, yes. Yeah, he comes from a wrestling family. And he's rich, so that's kind of like his gimmick. He's called like Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase or something. Um, but he loses to John Cena anyway, um, but gets it back another month later, uh, or even, not even, uh, about two weeks later at the next pay-per-view, Hell in a Cell. Triple uh, match, right? So he had, uh, that was, a, yeah, they had a Hell in a Cell match, and then he would have a, um, a last man standing match with i believe it was oh uh, he had a last man standing match with someone high profile and uh one might have been john cena as well and then he goes on to feud with cm punk that's where he loses it and all this happened with a span of just three months technically so what's his total time with the belts then two month long reigns uh but yeah about about 80 days the first one was only a few uh, the, the 35 days the second one was only 49. okay so uh yeah del rio a good promo looks great uh belt suits him but they never went all the way with him it, 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 it was my, just a trend he was just a transitional champ so that way the john cena and cm punk feud wasn't just constantly cena punk cena punk cena punk for the whole entire year you know what i'm saying yeah right so uh he yeah like you say transitional champion they're necessary had, the a, had a role but it doesn't make you had a role. it does not make you eligible to get to the battle bowl so when we have to pick a team i gotta uh, we gotta go with john cena and kane which is a miracle for kane 
Uh, obviously, we're going to go with Cena and um, and Kane, but Kane is so damn lucky. That puts Cena and Kane into the Battle Bowl, so let's switch our focus to the Battle Royale. Number one, Austin. Number two, number one, Hogan. Two, Austin. Three, Savage. Four, Sid Vicious. And newcomer, Kane. I think that... Uh, I think that Kane is going to stay at the bottom and be the first person eliminated, but do you see any reason that Kane would be a better champion than Sid Vicious, who's one above him? No, he he only held it the one time the one day, and it was only because they, ha- they needed to get it out of the jail. I will say, for this very moment in time, Kane is the number five greatest champion of all time in the Battle Bowl. That is... That's, that's a fact. That's what we're looking at right now. And I... <laughs> As I thought so. Now we have John Cena coming in. I thought we would uh, push him past Kane, Sid, and put him to Savage. Um, and then I thought maybe we'd talk about this next week on 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 Twitch. Oh, okay. As this could be quite a long conversation as well. This isn't going to happen every week, but it seems uh, that we have I, we have these these massive matchups coming, like Hogan and Austin, and Cena, Hogan, and Austin. And I think I, we need some time to uh, I need some time to think it over. Well, it sounds like we're going to have an interesting, you know, we've seen, we've already seen a, a Cena-Hogan battle on this show before, but now it's kind of like a triple threat match. It's a Cena-Austin-Hogan. Where battle. does Cena place in the in the title picture? Uh, I Yeah, I don't know. Well, let, let's talk about it on We'll on, find uh, out. We'll find Twitch. out. We'll find let's talk out. about it on Twitch. Okay, so that's it for WrestleChat today. Then you will find us on, uh, you'll find us in just two days, Friday night, 9 p.m., live. Yes, we are live video podcast on Twitch. Uh, so join us there, twitch.tv forward slash WrestleChat. Follow us on Twitter at WrestleChat and our podcast, of course, available on anchor.fm forward slash WrestleChat. That's it for us today. Uh, we will be entering 1982 next week and continuing the Battle Bowl and Lethal Lottery. What is the next matchup? Do you have that handy? Uh, the next match is, let's take a quick look here. We're looking at group seven and eight. Chris Jericho teaming up with Daniel Bryan. Oh, my Lord. What a great group that is. That's an awesome tag team. They're taking on, wow, a a good group of heels, JBL and Seth Rollins. Oh, boy. Uh, And our first modern modern guy entering. I mean, I guess you can consider Cena a modern guy. but First uh, 2010 era. Yeah, Yeah, that's going to be very exciting. Jericho and Daniel Bryan, what? a team uh but we're not talking it's not just talking about wrestling skill it is how they are as a champion and i have pretty fond feelings for one john bradshaw layfield so we're gonna have a quite an interesting discussion about that that'll be next week um and of course mid-atlantic mid-south and world-class championship wrestling so the show's gonna be a bit longer next week which is which will be fun yeah, because each of those champions, too, have their own story. Tenured, tenured story. I think we're going to push two hours next week. But anyway, that's it for this week. Thanks or, for... Or, or we might have to split that into both shows. Now. Yeah, we may have we to. We have may to have to do, do that. that. Uh, thank you for joining us, and please tune in again. Uh, please come in and see us live on Twitch. Come in and say hello, yeah? We'd, we'd love to hear from you while we're on the air. And we'll we'll read your name out loud and make you feel like a really special person. Leave these guys with some words of advice before we get out of here today, Justin. Hey, listen, kids. Um, just because you only succeeded at something once and it probably lasted for one day, like Kane's reign, 
that's not a big deal because you can still win if you're best friends with the top guy. There I you mean, go. Hell, All just, right. just ask Kane and ask Vincent from NWO. Kane getting carried. Yeah, right to the right to the battle ball. That's what it, this is a fun one. This is a fun one. I like this. Anyway, that's it. See us Friday, 9 p.m. on Twitch. That is live. We're out here, folks. Good night. Peace.